podcast with Blake Pace, myself, and Matt Wyrick. Uh, we're here, April 22nd. I got to give a quick shout out to my dad because it's his 65th birthday today, so happy birthday to Keith Pace. Uh, okay. But, you know, we're here. Um, we've got the NFL draft coming up this week. It's a big week. It's a fun week, and, you know, it's the second episode of our podcast. Matt, how you feeling? I'm doing well. Um, had a good weekend. Got to go home for Easter, see the fam, uh, hung out, although my power went out. Uh, at my house, so we were all Saturday night. Uh, thought I was going to be sitting down watching some baseball, some NBA playoffs. Nope, we were sitting in the dark with flashlights playing Monopoly. Uh, so that was <laughs> that was an experience. Wasn't expecting to get the family bonding time, but I did, and it was good. Uh, got to see everybody yeah. at, at brunch yesterday. So overall, it was a good weekend. And man, we're two weeks away from graduating. I can't believe it. I know, yeah, it's getting really close. We got our last week of classes and finals. I was I was fortunate enough to get away from from JMU this these past few days. I took a trip down to Florida to visit my family while they're on vacation. So it's been nice to uh, get together, spend Easter with them as well. But yeah, final week of classes and and then finals next week, and we're graduated. We're all done. It's crazy to think about, man. Four years. It's flown by so fast, and we're excited for uh, the next step here. Obviously. We're with you guys. You guys will be along. Uh, you listeners will be along for our journey here as we navigate the job market. We're both still very actively searching, so we're excited to see what yes. the future has in store. <laughs> exactly. And the job search has been tons of fun, as Matt and I, I'm sure, feel the same way <laughs> yeah, about fun. the job search. That's the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you think, Matt? You want to start with some draft talk this week? Yeah, might as well. I mean, we've got some big news coming out today. The the Cardinals reportedly not interested in drafting Kyler Murray at number one. Blake, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, I uh, I don't buy it, if I'm being completely honest. The reports were that Josh Rosen has impressed Cliff Kingsbury early on, and he will be in practice this week, uh, Tuesday through Thursday. It's the veteran minicamp, and that's kind of another chance for Rosen to, I guess, showcase his talent and, and kind of make his impression on Kingsbury more. Um, and we are going to talk about quarterbacks today. I've got, um, I, I've, I've finished my quarterback evaluations. I've kind of ranked my top group, but you know, I, I don't buy that the Cardinals aren't going to take Kyler Murray with the number one overall pick. Um, I, I believe ever since he declared for the draft, and as soon as Cliff Kingsbury was hired to be the next head coach of the uh, Arizona Cardinals, that it just makes perfect sense uh, to fit your new head coach with the quarterback that'll bring most success in his offensive system. If that's what you hired the coach to do was to dominate offensively, then you need to have a guy working alongside him that can operate that offense. And that of course is a very uh, multifaceted offense that, that sees a lot of action where, you know, a dual threat quarterback would do well in as his quarterbacks have done uh, in the past. And we know Josh Rosen isn't the most mobile quarterback. I also don't think his uh, arm is strong enough for maybe kind of the deep being, deeper pass concepts that Kyler Murray brings to the game as well. Um, the reports, I, I'm confused by it. I, I, I don't know if the Cardinals just aren't on the same page with each other from owner to GM to head coach. I kind of don't get what their plan is. It could be coming from the owner specifically that he's told the GM and head coach recently 
No, we committed to Josh Rosen last year. Uh, General Manager Steve Ka- uh, Steve Kime, he picked Josh Rosen last year, and, and maybe the owner is, is putting his foot down, and he's saying, hey, no, you invested a lot into taking a quarterback with the 10th pick last year. We're not going to give up on him that easily. So I, I don't know what to make of the report. I, I, that's the only thing that I could think of, because from my standpoint, Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals general manager should want Kyler Murray as the quarterback for Arizona for the safety of their their own jobs, because if it doesn't work with Josh Rosen, you're not only going to fire Cliff Kingsbury and ruin his first crack at an NFL head coaching job, but then you're also going to fire the general manager as well. Um, So not really buying too much into the reports that they are interested in moving on, um, that they are interested in not selecting a quarterback at number one overall, but it, it certainly makes things interesting ahead of, you know, draft week. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I've seen a situation like this where a team is willing to ditch its franchise quarterback a year later. I mean, you know, even guys like we talked about last episode, like Marcus Mariota, Blake Bortles, players who really didn't show that they were going to be transcendent quarterbacks and even showed signs of being bad quarterbacks. The team still opted to, you know, keep going with them, give them a few years. Um, and obviously those teams have been stuck in, you know, uh, I mean, obviously the, the Jaguars had that one good year and the Titans have made the playoffs once, but it was an uninspiring run. Uh, you know, I, I guess the, the Cardinals are seeing, you know, the opportunity here to take that black mark of a draft and just throw it out of the way and move forward uh, rather than try and scrounge whatever they can out of it. Now, whether or not that's a good strategy, I don't know. We haven't really seen it, like I said before. So I, I'm interested to see. I, I feel like you've got to give Rosen another year, at least one more. I know you've got the number one overall pick. Get him uh, another star on this Cardinals team that is so devoid of any. I mean, you know, the the one marketable player is Larry Fitzgerald, who's older than father time and, you know, only really hanging out there as a veteran presence. Still, you know, had some respectable numbers last year, but is by far and away not the same player he was five, six years ago. Uh, You know, you need just talent across the roster. And I feel like when you've already invested so much draft capital in the quarterback position in a year's time, that to go double down on that one position with the number one overall pick when you could be getting a guy like Joey Bosa, who really looks to be uh, you know, one of the better uh, pass rushers we've seen coming out of the draft, you know, I, I don't or Nick Bosa, excuse me. I, I really don't think that, you know, it's just a smart move, especially considering just all the other holes that the Cardinals have. Yeah, I, I guess my my you know um, rebuttal to that is just that if you're at number one, I, I think you still need to fit into what's best for the head coach and what that coach would need. And so I would say that you need to load up on the offense because, like we said, the Cardinals have a lot of holes on that team. They have one of the worst offensive lines. Uh, the receiving core they've got Fitzgerald. They drafted Christian Kirk. Okay, last but year. also look at Who this. Look what? at the you know scope of the league right now. This draft has, what, like four offensive players coming into it? The Cardinals are going to be bad regardless of whether or not they take Kyler Murray this year. Even if Kyler Murray comes in and plays like an above-average quarterback, they are not going to finish with a winning record with the rest of the roster that they have. It's just not going to happen. So you're going to have probably another top 10 pick next year in a draft that looks like it's going to have a lot more offensive potential. Perhaps you, if you aren't going to pick Kyler Murray trade down, get another first-round pick for next year, perhaps, or a second-round pick for next year, you know, drop down a few spots and, you know, just get more talent. Because I think right now they just they need to spread out across that roster. And, yes, Kyler Murray, he looks like a great quarterback. He looks like he, he could be uh, a long-term solution for a lot of different teams. But 
you know, the Cardinals could even afford to trade down to maybe pick number five and still get him or, you know, pick number eight and get Dwayne Haskins if they really want to invest in that quarterback position. Well, no, I, I, I completely agree that if I don't think if, if they're not taking Kyler Murray, I think that they should trade back just because their one strength on their team is defensive line. They've got great edges. Um, and I, I really don't think that they need to in, entirely invest in the front seven. So if you can trade back, and if a team is willing to give up the haul that you know the Redskins gave up a couple years back to select RG3, um, then I'm all for that. I'm all for accumulating as many picks as possible. But if they're stuck at one, if the value isn't there and they're not going to get the bundle of picks, I just don't like running the risk of giving your new head coach setting him up for failure. Because I think that's what you're going to do if you don't put him with a quarterback. I don't think Rosen can fit in this offensive system. Um, I think he's more built for something, you know, kind of like what the, what the Patriots run, where it's maybe a little bit dink and dunk passes, short offense, set up with a strong run game. I'm not sure what Cliff Kingsbury's NFL offense is going to look like, but judging from his college playbooks, he needs a strong-armed quarterback who's mobile, and that doesn't fit Josh Rosen's personality. So I agree, maybe you give it one year, but I think that Kyler Murray is this year's draft class's gem. I think he's a separate uh, quarterback from the rest of the pack, and I think, you know, you look at a guy like Haskins, he's not athletic enough, um, and his, I don't like his throwing motion enough to fit into that system. You could wait until next year, and, and you know, maybe they will, but I, I would also say that if, if you need to make things right for Arizona, you need to set this coach up with a strong first season, and if that's not with Josh Rosen, then I feel like you kind of have to do whatever you can to help them succeed. But here's the thing. You, you talk about not wanting to set up a coach poorly in his first season. Steve Wilkes finished 3-13 and when nobody was expecting the team to perform. Everybody saw that they were going to be worse this year. Rosen didn't come along as well, partially because Wilkes wasn't an offensive-minded coach. He wasn't able to give him that kind of time. And then they fire him after year one, which... Oh, you know, that that just tells me that the entire Cardinals organization is just in disarray. But okay, fine, to your point. Yes. You bring in Clingsbury, right? And you, and you say, all right, you know, this you're our quarterback whisperer. He's the guy who's supposed to turn Rosen around. If anybody can do it, it's supposed to be Kingsbury, right? So if he can't, if he's coming in here and saying, you know, oh, I actually need this other guy, you know, why did you hire him in the first place? That's what I don't understand. I would have hired somebody who came in and said, you know, I can make Josh Rosen a star. I'm a quarterback coach. I know what to do here. He's obviously seen the tape. You know, what What was different from that initial interview to now? And if, if they, you know, there's just a whole bunch of going back and forth with this team where, you know, they say they have a plan and then six months later that complete plan is thrown out for something else. You know, I, I just... I, I think they're a dumpster fire, and the fact that they are willing to go, if they do go for a quarterback on Kyler Murray, which they, the reports are saying they're not, but if they do, I just think that's a huge mistake, and not because of the player, and, and, and like you said, if the value's not there and you have to take Bosa number one, so what? Trade him in a year. You know, let him shine on that that, that platform when you're going to be on defense a lot. He's going to have a lot of opportunities to play well. If he does, then you're going to have a amazing trade chip that you can. We saw what Khalil Mack got. You know, what if the what if they were able to get that kind of dra draft capital back for him in a year with him being significantly younger than Mack was at the time of the trade? So you know, regardless, I, I just I don't think that a quarterback is the way to go here. It seems like they're leading away from that. I think that's a smart decision because they set themselves on a plan, whether or not they liked it. When they drafted Josh Rosen, they invested in him. They made him a key part of their future. And to give up after one year is a massive loss. 
I, I understand it's a massive loss, but the problem is, is they, they I, I do agree with you that I believe that the Cardinals management structure from owner to general manager is just a big mess. But the problem is, is that you can't make the same mistake twice. And what they did for Steve Wilkes is they didn't set him up for success. He was a very young coach. He was hired too quickly. He's now a coordinator and it might take some time for him to get another head coaching job. The problem with him wasn't that he wasn't an offensive guy. It was he just lacked experience, and he was put into that job way too early. The problem is they did the same exact thing again by hiring Cliff Kingsbury. I didn't like the hiring when it happened, but when you made that decision, you had to commit. You have to commit full term to making him work because if not, you're going to have to fire him again next season like you did Steve Wilkes because you need to set the coach, the young coach, up for success early in his career. If this was a coach like Bruce Arians, who is on his you know fifth or sixth destination, he knows what he needs in a team. But when you're Cliff Kingsbury, you may not know everything that you need from your offense and stuff coming in to the NFL for the first time as a head coach. And so with that, you kind of need to tailor your team to the head coach. I understand the great play callers adjust to the talent around them, but we don't know if, if Cliff Kingsbury is. And since you just fired an inexperienced head coach one season ago, you can't do that again or you're going to look like more of a laughingstock. And I, and I just, I truly don't think, I like Josh Rosen. He was my second-ranked quarterback from next from last year's draft class, but I don't think he's talented enough to work under this system with a bad offensive line. He needs protection. He needs a team that's got a smart offensive system that fits around his needs, and I don't know if that's Cliff Kingsbury. Well. Wow. I don't know. I mean, it, we're looking at the quarterbacks now. Let's let's say the Cardinals don't take one, right? That falls down to the Giants, right? And I think the report came out today that Dave Gettleman of the Giants is crazed, quote-unquote, crazed about getting a pass rusher with this sixth pick. Do you think, between those two teams, that we don't have a quarterback selected in the first six picks? Or do you think one of them two will cave? No, I still like I told. I still think that that Kyler Murray goes number one overall to Arizona. I don't buy the smokescreen. Maybe they are looking for that huge overhaul, like the Redskins gave up to get the number two pick a couple years back. But at the end of the day, I don't think they get that. And with the Giants, I do believe that they they're 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 the team that I think is more likely to not select a quarterback. They were in love uh, with the Oregon quarterback, Justin Herbert, before he decided to stay for his final year of college. He wanted to sit out this draft and get another year of college experience. Before that decision, the Giants were all in on making him their franchise quarterback. And the Giants, you know, like we said with the Cardinals, they've got a lot of holes. They could fix the offensive line. They traded away Odell. They could use receivers. They could use just about every position on defense. And they have two first-round picks. So with the Giants, I would buy that they – were would be more likely to wait until 2020 to select their quarterback because you know they already have Eli Manning they've made it clear they're going to commit to him for at least next season possibly even more which we can disagree with that decision I know I do I think you know Eli has prolonged his career uh, long enough I think you know he's towards the bottom of starting caliber quarterbacks but I I would buy more that the Giants aren't going to select a quarterback just because um, you know, I think they could use help on in the front seven. If maybe at pick six, if a guy like Devin White, linebacker out of LSU, is available, maybe you go there and maybe you pair him with an edge rusher at 17, or you take one of the top defensive linemen at pick six, like the report came out today, and then you take maybe an offensive lineman at 17, maybe a top wide receiver at number 17. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants were to. 
uh, let's say, pass up on a quarterback at six. But then it'll be interesting to see, you know, where these quarterbacks fall out. You know, I'm, I'm still going to buy that Kyler goes to number one with Cardinals. But if, if Dwayne Haskins doesn't go six, uh, has a team traded up to three with the New York Jets to take him? Uh, does Denver secretly think that they like Dwayne Haskins more than they do uh, Drew Locke? Does Cincinnati want to get a new guy with their new head coach, Zach Taylor? Miami? Uh, Washington, there are a lot of teams that could be trying to make moves if the Cardinals or Giants, like these reports are saying, decide to pass on their quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know who would be taking a QB beyond the Giants and the Cardinals. I mean, it seems like pretty much every team has its quarterback situation pretty much set. I mean, you know, maybe a team like the Bengals, if a quarterback falls to them, you know, the Andy Dalton's getting near the end of his deal. Uh, you know, he's really hasn't panned out as the guy. Maybe you train somebody else underneath him, but there's no, but no team that I look at like, Oh, you know, we'd have a quarterback kind of step in, uh, to that role. And the part of that is because last year's draft was considered the, the quarterback Mecca, get him while you can, uh, because next year's draft isn't going to have him. I mean, there was at the time there was still speculation. Herbert was going to sit out for another year that he wasn't going to declare for the draft early. Um, and it, you know, some people were surprised like the giants, but a lot of teams, you know, saw that coming and they were like, you know, he was really, uh, coming into the year. People didn't even have Kyler Murray on their draft radar. Dwayne Haskins wasn't as, as highly touted a prospect as he is now. Herbert was really then the only guy who was seen as, all right, you know, he, he could be a stud still hadn't even put together a full season, uh, like we saw this past year, but, uh, you know, he's only going to boost his stock further. It was definitely a smart investment on his part to stay into the, into college. So I think, most teams now just are content with like letting you know quarterbacks go to the point where I could see the Redskins nabbing a quarterback at 15, uh, which you know coming into even this last month that didn't seem like it'd be possible considering there are only really two quarterbacks who are projected to go within those top 15 picks and Haskins and Murray. Um, but I want to pose this question to you, Blake: If the Cardinals pass on Murray, do the Giants take him? Or do they go with Haskins? If if they were to, if they were to pick a quarterback and forego the pass rusher, do you think they would reach up and grab Murray or Haskins has been their guy? You know, I, I just don't see the Giants taking a guy like Kyler Murray, and it's because you know when you get to a, a franchise like the New York Giants, they're very traditional, um, kind of stubborn in their own way. They they don't, uh, I guess they they're kind of stuck in their ways on what a quarterback is meant to look like, and I think of franchises that are kind of like that, you know, Pittsburgh. Uh, New York, some of these older franchises, Green Bay, um, they're stuck in their ways that your quarterback needs to be big, uh, he needs to be comfortable in the pocket, he doesn't really need uh, mobility, and that's kind of what you've seen through the history of the Giants quarterbacks and, and, and with Eli Manning you know, more, most recently. Um, so I don't believe that they would take uh, Kyler Murray. Um, which then opens up, you know, where would he end up going if the Cardinals and the Giants passed on him? You know, I think Zach Taylor would like to have him in uh, in his creative offense with Cincinnati. Um, Washington really wouldn't do it. I couldn't see them taking a guy like that again because it would, you know, pit them, you know, are they going to be in the same position as when they selected RG3, a smaller guy who was running uh, a run-first quarterback? And I don't believe that Kyler Murray is a run-first quarterback, but it's kind of that idea that, you know, they just took RG3, what, uh, how many, how many years ago, maybe even six, seven years ago at this point. But, um, and then we saw how that didn't really work out for Washington because of the injuries and because of the concerns, they would probably pass on him for that. 
And, and so then, it, you know, you do start to wonder what teams would select Kyler Murray, but I do believe the Giants would take Dwayne Haskins over Kyler Murray just because he fits more of the mold of a quarterback that the franchise has traditionally traditionally looked for, and they're not a franchise that I expect to be uh, very progressive thinkers. I think another team to watch out for is the Dolphins at number 13. Mm-hmm. You know, coming yes. into right mm-hmm. now, they're, they're rolling in with Ryan Fitzpatrick as their number one, who Ryan Fitzpatrick is right. a fine quarterback who will give you a couple of good starts and a couple of stinkers, and you just kind of have to roll with the punches uh, with him. I mean, it was kind of like when Jay Cutler was starting. He would still have a few games every now and then. Now, they were fewer and far in between. Um, but Fitzpatrick is almost from the same mold in that regard in, in his level of consistency. Uh, so I could definitely see the Dolphins, who you know just overhauled their coaching staff, going fresh with a new quarterback as well at 13. Definitely would revitalize right. that fan base, uh, one that's you know been – uh, I still have talked to Dolphins fans who are upset that Tannehill got traded because they believed he just wasn't put in the, the best position to succeed and Gase wasn't the right guy and uh, there weren't enough tools around him, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I, I definitely see the Dolphins as a factor there. Um, and, and like you said, the Redskins, who just have had a terrible quarterback situation in general ever since the, the Alex Smith injury. Um, so I, I think mm-hmm. definitely those are two teams that I'd watch for later in the draft uh, who would scoop up any remains if both of these teams, as reported, uh, passing quarterbacks. Right. And, and then the other thing that you'd have to look at just, you know, and teams that I do believe will end up taking quarterbacks in this draft as well, depending how they fall out, you know, the middle tier of quarterbacks, uh, second to third round, I'd look at a team. I think New England, uh, they have 12 draft picks. I believe that they will look and try and get their quarterback uh, maybe in the second or third round. If you take a look at the Los Angeles Chargers, they are reportedly the most interested team in Josh Rosen over the last few weeks. But if they aren't able to get a deal done with that, if Arizona commits to Josh Rosen, I could definitely see Los Angeles taking a quarterback for their own. Uh, you know, like we've said, we, we already know the Giants are looking for their future successor to uh, Eli Manning. And then the last team I'll put out there is I know the Green Bay Packers aren't necessarily going to take a quarterback uh, early on in the draft. They do have for two first round picks, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them take a guy in the middle rounds and kind of groom up maybe potentially what they could see as the next Aaron Rodgers to what Aaron Rodgers was to Brett Favre. Yeah, I could see it. So before we we shift gears here, one last thing. Outside of Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins, who are your next, say, top three quarterbacks beyond them uh, who you think will be falling off the board? Oh, well, well, first off, I, I would need to say that Dwayne Haskins isn't uh, my second-rated quarterback. Oh, wow. Uh, he's not. I've actually got him as my fourth-rated quarterback. Um, and, <laughs> and I kind of have these quarterbacks. Oh, no, no, no. I, I've watched, and, and this is something I've, I just finished over the weekend watching their film for the third and final time. I watched the top 12 quarterbacks, and I have them into four tiers of, of seven. I broke that list down to seven. So number one, I obviously like Kyler Murray the most. I think he's the most dynamic uh, dual-threat quarterback we've seen since Michael Vick. I believe that he is a franchise quarterback. Uh, he's in a tier of his own in this class. I know that you're, there are concerns about his size and stuff like that, but he's got a, a laser of an arm, uh, good velocity, quick release, um, can throw from a lot of different angles. Uh, he's the best quarterback in this class. Number two for me is Drew Locke out of Missouri. Uh, and this is a guy I don't think gets past pick number 10 to the Denver Broncos. He's got the most talented arm in this draft class. It's an easy and effortless motion. He uses his entire body into the throw. He has a quick release. Good athlete, not great, but he can move around the pocket. Good frame. Deep accuracy isn't amazing with Drew Locke. And, and sorry if I'm speaking a little quick. I'm trying to get through these guys as quick as I can so we can switch to our other topic. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Drew Locke, 
my one biggest knock on him, I guess, is his aggressiveness. He throws into a lot of tight coverages, you know, doesn't really uh, – misses the open guy sometimes. He's aggressive, throws into tight coverage. I just said that, and he makes heavily contested throws. Um, his hand size is a little too small. I don't care about that as much as uh, some people seem to. They seem to think hand size is a very important stat. Um, to me, he's he's a guy that, you know, ceiling I would put as a top 12 to top 15 quarterback down the road. Uh, I think Denver is a perfect fit for him. I know from the start of this draft process that uh, John Elway has been in love with Dwayne Haskins. I know they've taken a lot of quarterbacks, but um, I don't think Joe Flacco is the answer there, and I think Drew Locke is their guy. He's my second-rated quarterback. And now this is the one that I feel like people will disagree with me most, and this, and, let, and I'll explain him. My number three quarterback is Ryan Finley out of North Carolina State. Uh, you know, 6'4", 213 pounds. He is extremely comfortable in the pocket, which I, I love about him. He doesn't really need to use his feet to move outside of the pocket. He moves up. He knows where the pressure is at all times. He's got great vision as well. Um, he is accurate on all three levels, short, intermediate, and deep throws. He's got a tight spiral, uh, consistent motion, and a good delivery. His timing is always consistent. It's not early or late. His wide receivers and him had a, a, a really great connection through his career at North Carolina State. The one thing that I hate that people say about Ryan Finley is he's not that athletic. He was in an offense that maybe didn't use him his legs as much, but he is a very fast quarterback. Um, he's not a dual-threat guy, but he's got quick feet. And if there's an offense that utilizes short pass plays to set up play action, and I have a great fit for him uh, later on, he's a great team for that. He's played under center in shotgun. He has a variety of experiences from the college level. Uh, to me, Ryan Finley is a guy that if you pair him with a smart offensive coordinator, one of the top offensive coordinators in football, this guy could end up being one of the best talents in this draft class. I truly believe that. Um, intricate offenses with a balanced run pass attack, short throws that set up play actions, like I said, will make up for, I guess, what some people might say his athletic shortcomings are. Um, he, like I said, he's the guy in this class that I'm higher on that people just aren't seeing as much. Um, I, I, people are, you know, uh, maybe saying he's more in that middle tier of quarterbacks. I, of course, have him right behind Drew Locke uh, in this second tier. He is a first-round talent. In my eyes, he probably ends up a second-round pick just because of where the teams value him. Um, and the, the team that makes the most sense to me is the New England Patriots. I think that he would be a perfect fit with Josh McDaniels uh, once this uh, Brady era is over, if he has a couple more years to learn behind him and get to understand the offense. Um, the, the way the Patriots run is that, that offense that Finley would fit in. Short passes that set up great play action, a strong run game, a good offensive line. Uh, I think he could be a starter uh, for a considerable amount of time. It just comes down to fit for me. Um, and so he, I've got Finley as my third. I won't go as deep because we talked about Dwayne Haskin. He, he is my fourth quarterback. I have him in the same tier as uh, Ryan Finley and Drew Locke. And then I've got my third tier, which is a little bit lower. These are guys I view as more of a uh, late second round to probably end of the third, early fourth round. Uh, my number five quarterback is Jarrett Stidham from Auburn. Number six, Daniel Jones from Duke, which... If if you want, if I get time later on to rant about Daniel Jones, people are saying you know that he's reportedly going in the first round. I watched his tape. I don't see it. I just simply don't think that he's a, a round one quarterback. Um, I think he's more of a career backup. And then my number seven quarterback, and this is kind of where I stop my rankings, is Will Greer. I view him as a mid-third to early fourth round kind of pick. I'll tell you, I've loved watching Will Greer. I have a buddy at West Virginia. I've 
seen him a lot. I mean, that guy can air it out. I'll tell you. I mean, he obviously had uh, you know some character issues, had to transfer schools, um, and that certainly will be a factor that the teams will be considering. But you know, with the the few offensive players that we are seeing in this draft, I mean, you know, a guy like Will Greer, I wouldn't be surprised to see him drafted. Uh, you know, second, third, fourth round, um, just because mm-hmm. you know the, the just the, the not necessarily quality, but the quantity just isn't there. Right, definitely. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our draft stuff for today. Now, we are going to come back on Wednesday uh, to do a bit of a more in-depth draft preview. I think we'll go pick by pick, uh, make some predictions, talk about some individual scouting reports. Um, But we just wanted to go through the quarterbacks today and and talk about the Cardinals because the Cardinals have been just an enigma uh, in the NFL. And uh, (laughs) while everybody else seems to be getting more and more progressive, this, this team seems to just keep on stumbling. So... Um, you know, obviously the, the Bruce Arians era uh, didn't end as well as they probably would have hoped it was, but he had a graceful exit. And now they're just kind of in disarray. Uh, so we'll see, you know, where they go from here. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. So we're going to shift gears to talk about baseball. A um, player I really want to talk about who's been dominating headlines ever since he won NL MVP last season. That's Christian Yelich. He's off to a really hot start this year, batting 353, an OPS of 1.315. Yes, that's 1,315 OPS right now. An absolutely outstanding start to the season. He already has 13 home runs and 31 RBIs, both of which lead the league. Yes, folks, he's played just 23 games. Does lead the yeah. uh, National League in plate appearances, but this is you know, not something that we really expected to see out of Yelich. He really exploded when he got to Milwaukee. Uh, after being traded from the Marlins uh, after the 2017 season. Uh, but, you know, we were expecting him to be better, certainly, but he's taken his game to a whole new level. Yeah, I, I mean, just the, the growth from it. I know we were talking on uh, our first episode about Miami uh, trading away. Derek Jeter, of course, moving on from Stan and Yelich. Um, and then you come back last year, MVP season, like you said, hit 326, uh, had eight – or. 36 home runs, 110 RBIs, and this blistering start again. When you look at his career, are there different tiers in where you've seen his progression grow? Um, and, and kind of, you know, I, I was wondering where you think he can end up moving forward because he's only 27 years old at this point. Well, you want to know something crazy? Uh, when he was a prospect in 2012, uh, he at the time was. I want to say 21 years old. He weighed 195 pounds, measured in at six foot three. And uh, scouts were saying at the time, Yelich, you know, he's got great approach to the plate, uh, an outstanding base runner, a good fielder. He just lacks the power. And we're not really sure. This is that was a quote. We're not sure what his power is going to be like at the major league level. Right now, he measures in at age 27, six foot three, 195 pounds. <laughs> Has not grown, has not gained any weight. It weighs exactly the same. And, you know, his base running numbers support that. I mean, he stole 22 bags last year, 16 the year before, has hit 20 uh, on another occasion back in 2014. He's won a gold glove. So he's maintained all of those, uh, you know, parts of his game. It was the power that never came on. Uh, and in 2016, he won a silver slugger, actually, uh, hitting 21 home runs. That was about the year when the launch revolution started. And a lot of players mm-hmm. were adjusting their swing and changing to adapt to hitting more long home runs because that was getting them the results. That was getting players paid. They thought, okay, this is 
you know, the solution here. And Yelich was a big part of that. Uh, and he was a player who had previously hit four, nine, and seven home runs in his previous three seasons. Now he was 21 through 23 in those years. That's typically not when players are going to have typically a lot of power at the major league level. But he exploded from seven home runs in 2015 to 21. Uh, he even jumped from 30 to 38 doubles. I mean, hitting a career high in that. So, you know, that power just kind of came out of nowhere. But this was a whole nother level. And I really think it goes back to leaving Marlins Park. Marlins Park was such a gotcha. suppressive factor for him. And it's the reason I picked JT Real Muto to win NL MVP at the start of the season mm. because he was finally traded out of Marlins Park. Uh, and I felt like, you know, there, there's a lot of data to support that he was the worst player affected by balls that died at the warning track. It was, you know, he crushed it, and it's just at any other park it would have been gone, and instead the center fielder cruises in and, and, and completes the catch lazily. You know, that's that's the kind of things where Yelich is benefiting from already, and I think that we're going to see out of Real Muto. So, I, you know, getting traded to Milwaukee, that was big um, as far as the ballpark goes. But the other big thing was he was playing for a losing ball club that just had no end in sight. And we went on a whole discussion about Miami last episode, so I'm not going to go into it again. But the Marlins just really had no future. Milwaukee had one of the best farm systems in baseball. They signed Lorenzo Cain in the same week that they got Yelich, giving them an all-star outfield alongside Ryan Braun that looked like it was going to be locked in for the future and said, hey, guys, just go play. And that's exactly what they did. They won the division last year. I mean, it took them 163 games to do it, but they were eventually able to edge out the Cubs and get that division title. And, you know, he really just became the face of that t that town, the face of that uh, whole movement uh, for the Brewers to become contenders because nobody was counting them as contenders entering last year. And when they got off to that hot start at the All-Star break, remember at the time, the team was not very aggressive at the trade deadline because they were looking at the season as a possible fluke. They were saying, you know, I don't know, you know, we've had a good start, but we're not sure if we're there yet. Let's wait, you know, maybe, you know, get a few holes, but don't make any big moves, cost a lot of prospects. That's exactly what they did. And they're now getting those more of those prospects coming up now. The team looks absolutely loaded. Uh, and they haven't gone off to the best start in the world. They're not, you know, they're in third place in the division, 13 and 10 right now. Uh, and they just lost yesterday. But I mean, Yelich has been the front of this offense, and it is clicking on all cylinders right now. They scored 113 runs uh, so far this season, which ranks a second, uh, the top tier of National League teams right now. So, you know, I, I'm all in on the Brewers. You know, I, I think the Cardinals are, are a real threat too. They have a plus 21 run differential right now, which is best in the NL Central. I think that's bodes well for them moving forward. The Brewers actually the only team in the NL Central with a negative run differential. They said at negative two entering today, but after the season they had last year, you know, I don't believe in the Cubs. I don't believe in the Pirates. The Reds are the Reds. I, I think that the Brewers and the Cardinals are clear cut going to be the two best teams by the end of the season. And a big part of that is right. because of Christian Yelich. Right, exactly. And Christian Yelich, you know, like we were talking about this blistering start, how sustainable do you think this is for a guy who, like we said, you know, he's out of Marlins Park now. He's playing in, in Milwaukee. Um, should have more opportunities. He's already off to 13 home runs and 31 RBIs. Uh, sustainability for the remainder of the season. Are there any things that you think he still might need to improve upon? Um, or And then, you know, beyond this season, the extent of his career. He's established himself as one of the best in baseball. He's 27 years old. What is the potential for a guy like this? Well, I mean, look at it this way. Right now... Yelich's hard hit percentage is 59.2%. 
His league, his career average is 38. He is hitting the ball harder than he ever has at a much consistent rate. His home run per fly ball percentage, league average is 15%, right? This is a percentage of your fly balls that end up over the fence. League average 15, he's sitting at 40.6. That's going to suggest some regression there. I mean, he's getting, you know, everything he hits hard, it's just flying. I mean, that's Evan. He's leading the league in home runs. That's going to happen. And in a 25, 26 game sample size, you know, you're going to get fluky numbers like this. Now, power, I don't think sustainable. Do I think he's going to hit 50 home runs? No way. I don't even think he's going to break 40. I could easily see him going for 35 again like he did last year. I think he had 36. uh, Yeah, 36 home runs last year. But the one thing that I do believe is sustainable is that batting average. He's hitting 320, wow. 353 right now, and his batting average yeah. on balls in play, which league average is about 300, okay, where that's when you make contact, does the ball end up in the uh, giving you a hit, right? Um, right. And that's, so that's discluding strikeouts, uh, discluding, um, but yeah, just strikeouts from that total. So everybody's, you know, that BABIP is going to, depending on where the ball goes, his BABIP is 293 which suggests he's actually getting unlucky when he hits the ball in play. Now, he doesn't hit a lot of ground balls. So a player who hits the ball in the air a lot is going to have a higher BABIP because they're going to be hitting it over the line of uh, the middle infield and likely going for a lot of singles and doubles. Now, if they hit too many fly balls, they just pop out a lot That's or, or fly out. That's a different story. But Yelich is a guy who hits the ball on a line and he hits it hard. And the fact that he has a lower BABIP says that he might even be better in terms of just making contact and getting hits. So, you know, we haven't had a player, uh, I think the last time we had a player hit for 350 was Miguel Cabrera. Um, don't quote me on that. I might be wrong. I'd have to double check that. But, you know, I, I could easily see Yelich elevating. I mean, he hit 326 last year. I could see him elevating his game uh, to that point uh, and getting, you know, a batting average in the 250 zone or 350 wow. zone, excuse me. Right, and, and you know, we're talking about Yelich. I just got a notification. He was named uh, NLM uh, Player of the Week this past no week. One point nine five zero OPS, eight home runs and sixteen RBIs over the last week. So you know, another great week for him. Another thing that I noticed with him, a, a lot of these home runs, and I, I kind of just get glimpses of them when I see them on on social media and whatnot. Is that they're early on in the count. I've seen a lot of uh, first pitch home runs, especially this past week. Is there anything about attacking early that you think plays into effect on maybe catching the pitcher off guard that he's that he's swinging for the fences early on in the count? Well, this is the thing. I don't think Yelich is a guy who loads up and just tries to swing for the fences. He has a smart approach. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. racked up 135 strikeouts last year, which isn't necessarily great. You know, you, you, you try to keep your, your strikeout numbers below 100. Now, in the league today, no one really cares about that. So, you know, take that right. as you will. Um, but he has a smart approach to the plate. He's, he's not going to be, you know, a, a Chris Davis type to strike out 200 times in a season or anything like that. You know, he's, he battles as if he has two strikes a lot. Uh, you'll see him, you know, go for contact on the first two pitches and maybe not trying to load up for power. So, you know, he takes an aggressive approach because he's smart about it. He sees great plate discipline. He sees the zone very well, uh, and he's smart. He, you know, he, he knows when, when a breaking ball is coming, when it's going to be a fastball. He's much better at guessing than the average hitter. And I think that's really, you know, come in to help there. Um, now, going back to the previous thing I said, highest bat, last player to get a 350 batting average was Josh Hamilton in 2010. Miguel Cabrera came close, got 344 and 348 in 2011-2013. But Hamilton hit 359 oh, wow. in 2010. So, 
he would be the first player hmm. since Josh Hamilton in 2010, which if you remember Josh Hamilton in 2010, uh, he was oh, yeah. you know, one of the best players in baseball, one of the most fun to watch. I mean, him and Albert Pujols were easily the two most exciting players in baseball at that time. And, uh, you know, for Christian Yelich to be in the same conversation as Josh Hamilton of that era, I mean, you know, that says something. I, I admit, you know, when he won MVP, I kind of wrote it off. I said, you know, this is a guy who, who came out of nowhere and won the MVP award. You know, nobody's expecting him to sustain that. He's going to fall back. You know, it's like when Jimmy Rollins or, or Dustin Pedroia won. You know, those weren't guys mm-hmm. who were perennial MVP candidates. They just each had really good seasons uh, and ended up coming away with it. And, and you know, power to them. They, they had a great year, but that's just, you know, that's not their MO. They're, they're not going to be Hall of Famers. They're just above average players who put it all together one season. That's what I thought we were getting out of Yelich last year. But so far, what we've seen out of him, you know, that's really been, you know, changing my opinion. Right. And we don't want to overreact. We said that it has changed your opinion a little. If you had to put him in kind of where you would see maybe in some of the better batters in baseball, uh, his overall talent, what what are we saying he's a top what kind of player? I mean, if we're talking strictly hitters, uh, okay, because, you know, trying to, to group right. pitchers into that uh, certainly oh, yeah. makes it a little more difficult. You know, I, I, I think you obviously have Mike Trout at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still put Mookie Betts in there as, as my number two right now. I know he hasn't had the best start to the year. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we haven't but really. It's Mookie Betts. It's Mookie Betts. You know, we know what we're going to get out of him. And there's been a couple players mm-hmm. like like Giancarlo Stanton who's been hurt, uh, who I think can be at that top. But if we were talking about players Thanks who have been on the field, yeah, <laughs> I, I I like to look at the last three years as as a determinant for for who the best players in baseball are. And, you know, Yelich has gotten into that conversation. I don't think he's top five yet. I think he's top ten. Uh, I think anytime right. you win the MVP that following season, you should always be in the top ten. You know, I, I put Blake Snell probably in my top ten too, even though before last season he had a 4-0 ERA uh, in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, 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 they, they put that together and you think, okay, you know, they can build off of that. They can still be great players. Um, but as far as the best player in baseball right now, you know, maybe maybe I throw him around seven, six. Um, but you know, by the end of the season, I, I would I would not be opposed to putting him number two uh, if he continues yeah. to play like he has. You know, Jose Altuve has fallen off a little bit. He was a guy who I thought would be a staple oh, yeah. uh, in that, and he had the more natural progression to becoming MVP. Was you know still among the the hits leaders in the uh, American League every year, even when he didn't win it. Uh, and finally, you know, got his due, got the MVP. That's the, the traditional track. Yelich just defied all odds, came out of nowhere and won it. I mean, he had one season where he had MVP votes, and I believe it was a one ninth place vote. Yeah, he, he finished 19th uh, in NL MVP mm. voting in 2016, which means he probably got one vote somewhere. Um, right, you know, he had a yeah. silver slugger, but this wasn't, this wasn't, we weren't seeing MVP level stuff. He finished with an OPS of exactly 1,000 last year. <coughs> His OPS plus 162. He was 62 percent better than the average player. I mean, that's that's something we never saw coming out of him. So, uh, you know, before I put him in that category of best player in baseball, top three, top five, I just need to see him do it for a little bit longer. I, I you know, a lot of things can happen in a 23 game stretch. I mean, you know, how many home runs did Gary Sanchez hit in his first whatever games? I mean, we oh, thought yeah. he was going to be, you know, the next guy. Trevor Story came on. Uh, and he homered in uh, you know his first like seven game of, games of his career, six games of his career, or something stupid like that. I mean, you know that was crazy. Trey Turner came on and hit over three thirty 
uh, with 13 bombs in half a season. You know, people were extrapolating his numbers and saying he's the next Ricky Henderson. I can firmly remember an article doing exactly that. Uh, you know, small sample sizes, a lot can happen. Uh, and, and you'll see some incredible things that are done where you're like, wow, this guy is good. But, you know, you got to see how the season goes. Yelich is going to cool down at some point. And he's going to go through slumps, and it's about how he adjusts because the league's going to adjust to him. It's all about how he adjusts back. And so far, we've seen him make the adjustments. I mean, he won MVP. You know, I'm not taking away from that. Um, just I think there's there's something to be said for being considered one of the best players in the game. Yeah, and like you said, you know, you, you, you like to look at the last three years, and so I pulled that up, and I, I'm going – I, I guess I should go back to 2016, essentially, if we're to include, because uh, I don't want to use just the, what, uh, 23 games he's had this year. Mm-hmm. And if you're pulling that up, uh, those 2016 season through 23 games in 2019, he's hitting 304, uh, slugging percentage of 521, OPS 907. He has 88 home runs and 320 RBIs. But then, you know, the thing that we talked about, his one thing, you know, 425 strikeouts in those last three seasons mm-hmm. in 23 games. So, and yeah, 41, 41% of those home runs all came in one season, too. I mean, you know, there, there's yeah. something to be said for mm-hmm. that for consistency. And I think in order to be one of the best players, you know, like Chris Bryant was, was considered one of, one of the better players. And we saw a great season from him when he was young. But he just hasn't been able to, you know, bring that back. Bryce Harper is one of the players who we have seen him have an outstanding season by one of the best uh, under 25 seasons we have ever seen in the history of Major League Baseball. That is not an exaggeration. I will die on that grave. <laughs> he <Yeah. laughs> is an absolute incredible season what we saw out of him, Barry Bonds-esque. But he just hasn't been able to be consistent. And nobody considers him, you know, one of the best top five players in baseball. He's fringe top ten. Uh, by most uh, rankings that I've seen over the past few years. So, you know, I think Yelich has passed Harper because of recency, because he won MVP more recent. Uh, he's been the better player as of late. Um, but, you know, I think I don't think Yelich should be ranked all that much higher than Harper at this point, uh, just because we haven't seen him do it over a long career. And like you said, the strikeouts are a problem. Strikeouts are a problem for Harper, too. Um, but, you know, I think I think there's certainly worse players in that regards. And he still, you know, draws plenty of walks. He had 68 last year, he had 80 the year before, 72 the year before that. So, you know, he has a good eye, certainly, uh, and will get on base plenty, even if he's not, uh, if he's having some strikeout problems, he'll probably still walk. And um, those intentional walk numbers, I'm sure, are going to go up this year. He only had two last year, which is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, he has Ryan Braun hitting after him, who you know, has been doing pretty well in his own right, but I certainly would rather face Ryan Brown than I would Christian Yelich. So I'm sure that on-base percentage right. is going to go up as a result. We saw it with Harper after he won MVP. Uh, it's a pretty common effect. Uh, you know, nobody wants to get on a highlight reel of, you know, MVP from last year hitting his second home run <laughs> of the game. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to be on the losing end of that. So uh, I certainly expect us to see Yelich walked more, not just intentionally, just like pitchers pitching around him. I mean, his on-base percentage right now is 456 uh, which is absolutely insane. Um, so I, that's definitely going to come down. But, you know, just as a whole, we'll see him drawing more walks uh, and getting tougher pitches to hit. You know, he's a great fastball hitter. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, he, he, he doesn't have a big sweeping power swing. It's almost like a, a hit to contact where if he gets the sweet, stop, sweet spot, it just really bounces off of it. When he's getting fastballs, you know, that gives it all that, that momentum it needs to, to really get out of there. Uh, when he starts mm-hmm. seeing a lot of breaking balls down and away, you know, what he does with that, I'm really interested to see. Yeah, certainly. And, and this will be a big year This, you know, if we can get that three-year span from 2017 to 2019 where he's really popped off. 
uh, like you said, he might move all the way up to number two in your player rankings. So who knows? I'm excited. I, I really like watching the Brewers play. They're an exciting team. Him, Lorenzo Kane, and Ryan Braun. That's a fun outfield. Um, you know, one of the better ones in baseball, probably only rivaled by the Dodgers, who are just out to an outstanding start, especially offensively from that outfield. Um, you know, I think they're in competition for one of the best outfields in baseball. I'd like to hope the Nats can get into that conversation. Uh, I think the Mets uh, are, are in there as well. But uh, the way Yelich has been playing, you know, I don't think the Brewers are touchable in that regard. Now, you know, like I said, negative two run differential. The pitching hasn't been there. You know, they've scored uh, 113 runs this season, but they've given up 115, which is uh, the most in the NL Central and the oh, wow. second most in the National League as a whole. So, you know, definitely mm-hmm. have had some problems on the pitching staff side of things, but they've played well at home, uh, you know, and they've, they've done all right on the road. I expect them to be right in the th- uh, thick of things by the time we get to the end of the season. Uh, but don't sleep on the Cardinals. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big believer in the Cardinals this year. That, that pitching staff has been very good, um, and that offense actually has scored more runs than the Brewers thus far. Yeah, Awesome. Well, anything else to get off your chest, Matt? I know we've been here. We got we're at about the uh, fifty minute mark. You got anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, not really right now. I'm just kind of uh, you know excited for the draft, excited for baseball season to keep going. I think we're finally you know we, we've we've shaken off the all right. This is new. It's a new season kind of thing. We're we're getting into the bigger sample sizes. We're about to finish our first month here in the next week. Um, so you know that's. That's once we get in the meat of the baseball schedule, that's my favorite, you know, the long dog days of summer uh, where I can rely on a baseball game being on almost every day. That's my, my favorite thing in the world. So excited oh, yeah. for that. Um, and we never mentioned it, but uh, congratulations to Tiger Woods uh, for winning the Masters oh, of was course. last weekend. How could we forget? Uh, we didn't get into it. Now, there, there are some uh, – I have some reservations about Tiger just as a whole, uh, as a person, uh, where I, I, mm-hmm. I don't jump into all this hype. Of you know what a guy can you know wow this is amazing I mean as far as what he has done on the field I mean he's a surefire one of the best golfers of all time Uh, you know I don't even know if he can really uh, you know replicate this success I mean he's kind of had an up and down season so far this year Uh, you know did already win one event in the PGA Tour so this wasn't his first win back but to win the Masters I mean it's absolutely incredible Uh, you know an amazing comeback story I just you know. The way he treated his family, the fact that you know he got a DUI and had, uh, you know, was was putting other people's lives in danger. You know, that's not all forgivable, in my opinion. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that I think has to be. I think it's a stain on his legacy that just can't get brushed under the rug. I think it's something that right. you know, people still should talk about when talking about Tiger. Um, but you know, just the, the 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 pure athletic fact of what he was able to do uh, was incredible. Uh, and, and for that, I congratulate him. Yeah. And just to piggyback off that, I agree that the off the field stuff is unforgivable. And when people talk about the redemption story, I hope they are talking more about the fact that he did have four back surgeries and hadn't won a major in, in since 2011, I believe, or 2013, but it had been a while since he had won a major championship, had the four back surgeries at times. Everyone had essentially written him off as he wouldn't, you know, never win again, or maybe even some thought he wouldn't play golf again. So I believe I, I hope that that's the redemption story we talk about. I agree with you. The off the field, off the uh, off the the green stuff is 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 stuff that we can't look past, and it will be a stain on his legacy. But redemption story, you know, I, I grew up watching Tiger. Me and my grandfather, he loved Tiger growing up. Uh, I, I certainly he he inspired a generation of golfers. Just with that, you know, you can be an athlete and play golf. Um, he brought that to the game, and so I think. 
you know, he, he's done a lot for the game. Um, and this redemption story is just something that, I, you know, I was just happy to see him get back through that, through all the injuries and surgeries and all the people that had doubted him and said he would never win again. Yep. Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, there's still more golf to be played. I'm certainly, I'm certain this isn't the last we're going to see of Tiger. So we'll see mm-hmm. him back out there sporting his uh, Sunday red. Um, and, you know, good for him to, to finally get that win. Uh, you know, obviously that's important for him and for his family. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. congratulations to them uh, for that achievement. Now, all right, that's going to wrap it up uh, for today. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Matt Weirich, which I realize I've never spelled out. It's W-E-Y-R-I-C-H. It's pretty tough. I know people and, mess it up all the time. So, um, And the funny yeah. part with your, your name is I had you saved in my phone before I think I realized how it was spelled. I had it M or W-Y. I completely forgot the E. <laughs> so, you know, hey, people can screw it up. I know I did for a while. And so need to spell that out. Um, but, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BlakeAndrewPace. Uh, once again, you know, I write for uh, Stampede Blue, SB Nation's Colts page. Matt writes uh, for the Nationals or the Washington Nationals page at SB Nation Federal Baseball. Um, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Like we said, this week is coming up with a lot of NFL draft stuff. I think Wednesday we have planned to make that uh, exclusively about the draft, maybe some other stuff in there as well. Uh, of course, we'll be back Friday. You can catch us uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday coming in. Uh, we'll get into some basketball. I know we talked about that, and we've been watching <laughs> basketball, and we're going to have some guests on to talk about basketball because it is the postseason. So we'll make sure we get to that in the near future. But thank you guys so much for listening. Matt, you got anything else to say? I think that's it. Uh, I listed our podcast as explicit on iTunes, so shit. Uh, I had to throw that in there just so that we can uh, you know, fit our brand down because apparently that's our brand. Of course. So. <laughs> of course. Big baller brand. Oh, yeah. All right, fellas. Take it easy. Have a good one. Take care.